Tiger tomorrow. It's Chinese New Year and it's the year of the tiger. And obviously, <laughs> welcome to the Tori Says Show. There's a lot of things on fire right now. And I can tell you is the left and the right. It's all the people of the establishment that are running for the hills. <laughs> there is so much happening. Uh, I don't even know where to begin today. I really wanted to talk about your identity and metaverse because it's kind of long overdue. But then I'm like, maybe we should talk about things that are kind of relevant now, maybe not so much in the apparentness and what's to come, right? So um, it's the year of the tiger. Year of the tiger. You know, I just thinking... I know that if you're under attack in any part of your life, I can assure you that it's because you're moving in the direction, the very thing that you were created to break up. There's something in the, in the air that you need to break up, something that you're called to shift. That's why it's dark. That's why you don't see light there. That's why, that's why you, you feel like you're cornered, right? You feel like there's no way out. And I can assure you, that the direction that you're going to is exactly why. See, uh, something that you're called to shift that's dark, that needs light. That's why people like you, that's why you feel the way you do. That's why it's the season for some to feel extremely isolated, misunderstood. It's been a time when you've prayed and God hasn't answered when you thought he would. So you had to walk blindly, which is exactly what he wanted because he wanted you to have faith, not by sight, but by faith. And it's important for you 
to understand how important that is. It's important for you to understand that sometimes we just take leaps and we're just like, you know, maybe this is the way it is. Because in the end, your creator will never leave you. God does not leave you in the place he promised to take you through. Everything you are going through is he said, he said he will not leave you. He promised to take you through. You forgot the plans he has for you. It's just pretty simple. You forgot the plans he has for you. He will walk you through whatever you need. And you have to remember that, especially this month. This month is pretty lit. You know, this Ukraine thing is coming up and it's only like the U.S. is talking about war. It's almost as if we're watching a real live taping of Wag the Dog. Only the stars of this movie, some are present, some are in the background. You have to remember, when Ukraine was coming up and we had all these people from the State Department, or I should say the Deep State Department, right? Uh, like Bill Taylor, who had supersonic hearing, you know, or Yovanovitch, who's playing, you know, gatekeeper for the AG. Things came out in Lithuania. And what people don't seem to remember is the history that Schiff has with Ukraine and blimps and Ukrainians and money with Ukraine and you hashtag united for Ukraine. Longstanding history with Ukraine. He was actually in Lithuania to silence investigations of, uh, you know, things at uh, he actually spoke at a NATO conference and expressed some concerns about Russia's actions in Ukraine. Do you want to guess when he did that? Oh, that's right. It was just a couple months before the election, right? Right before their election, the rigged election, right? Right as there was annexation and all of that, just, just the perfect thing just happened all together. Yeah, it's around now. That, that happened. So I'm kind of feeling that um, it's almost like deja vu with this Ukraine stuff happening right now. It's just so weird. So bizarre and weird. You know, but I, I was thinking as I was driving back from Columbus today, I was thinking, what would happen if people actually knew the truth? Like, what if, for some reason, a veil came out and they all knew the truth? If they knew the truth of why we have migrants being dropped off in Florida, if they knew the truth of what slavery is. You know, today, when I filed paperwork for something I'm not going to talk about because I filed it officially today, I thought to myself, you know what? I'm glad it's with the Republican Party. Because we need real Republicans and fake Democrats. We need fake Democrats because the real Democrats want slaves, right? And if people can't see that refugees, illegal migrants, and any other types of migrants are not your modern day slaves, well, then, you know, I have no idea. I mean, how was it that chick said it on... Um, that show, what's her name? 
Osborne, was it Osborne that said it? She was like, well, you know, I have a migrant. She cleans my toilets. Why are they all cleaning toilets? Why did we have that Honduran woman with 40 people trapped in her house? Why are they all cleaning ladies, right? They've come here. I'm sure they had an education. They did more than, is it just cleaning ladies that just appear or masseuses? All of them specialize in massage and cleaning. It just, it makes no sense. I mean, it's like, oh yeah, all these migrants. Uh, I mean, they didn't do anything in their other countries, right? They were just all cleaners and masseuses. Let me guess. It's like only those people and cut grass, you know, that's all they do, right? They do your lawn, right? They massage men and women and, um, you know, they, uh, clean, interesting, interesting. Having said that, I saw a comment fly by and nail salons. Actually, the nail salon thing was a, a cooperation that the state of California had. And I think that came from Feinstein, if I'm not mistaken. I could be mistaken. I'm trying to remember which one of them did it, where they created an agreement with Vietnam to bring women over and train them to do nails. I kid you not. Kind of sounds like a slave farm. Hey, you guys in Vietnam, only good to do acrylic nails. Let me bring you over. And that has stayed since then. This isn't, uh, you know, made up stuff. Uh, this is facts. These are slaves. The people bust off. Uh, you know how uh, DeSantis, oh, we're going to do this and we're strong on this. Well, what about all these migrants that have just been dumped off in Florida? Where's that? What happened there? Oh, let me guess. We missed that, right? See, the truth isn't that pretty, but it's still truth. And people dislike it when you speak truth. They don't like the truth. They like their little bubble that they live in and, you know, have no one to answer to and shouldn't answer to, right? That's the way it is. Even Barr said that human trafficking is modern day slavery and pledged that he would do a lot, but he did roll over. We don't know why. But a lot is happening now. A lot of people look like they rolled over. A lot of them look like they bowed out. A lot of them look like they sold out and jumped ship. A lot of them have been shamed too, but they have not. In the news today, the things that are the most interesting in lead stories is that the New York Times that is broke and owned by someone else has so much debt somehow could afford to buy Wordly for a low seven figures. So they're broke, but they bought a game, right? They bought a game. So interesting. I wonder if they bought that game with our tax dollars. Stop it. To create more income. Who knows? So, you know, that's interesting, right? In other news, we have the news showing us old videos of Ukraine citizen soldiers, militias, in other words, that are being trained by, I don't know who, right? Showing that there's tensions, right? there's tensions. And then the U.S. and Russia are clashing over the Ukraine during a Security Council meeting at the U.N. So Russia with support from China, 
tried to block the meeting being public, but all the members voted to proceed in session publicly. And Biden called it a critical step in rallying the world to speak out in one voice. The Russians said the Americans are the ones whipping up tensions and rhetoric and are provoking escalation. No, duh. We can see it, too. The discussions about threat of war is provocative just by saying it. You're almost asking for this. You want it to happen. You're waiting for it to happen. That's exactly what was said by Russia. And then, of course, Biden's ambassador said, well, you know, you would be uncomfortable, right, if you had 100,000 troops at your border. And if Russia further invades Ukraine, first of all, that's a declaration saying that they've already invaded the Ukraine when they have not. So her statement was, if Russia further invades the Ukraine, wait a minute, they haven't invaded shit. So why is she saying it? But let me continue her exact statement. If Russia further invades the Ukraine, none of us will be able to say we didn't see it coming. And the consequences will be horrific, which is why this meeting is so important today. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Ukraine's own people are like, you know what, USA? Can you butt out? We don't need your help with Russia. Okay? And America's like, look at all these troops. They're lining up. They're all making declaratory if you invade any more. And it's like, they haven't invaded shit yet. Like, why are you running? What is going on here? America's the only one talking about war. Ukrainians aren't. They're causing panic in Ukraine. Why? Oh boy, that laptop full of stuff. Full of stuff. Full of stuff. That's so weird. And then we have England, the most weirdest thing ever. Okay. So apparently there was a party in England, right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. While everyone was on lockdown, Boris and his buddies and Theresa May were partying and having drinks with no masks and they were having a party. Here's where it gets really weird. Okay. Breaking news. Police investigate alleged party in his flat. So, uh, you know, just like the police are investigating if he had a party. So obviously there was a party. I'm still a little bit confused as to why the police are investigating it. Uh, obviously partying under COVID is a crime. Uh, you know, this is just, I think for a Monday, it was the saddest news day. Why? Because the real news wasn't out there. Right. Real news of stuff that's really happening. Okay. Real news. Obviously, today, the right media and the alternate media on the right were talking about Miss USA jumping from the building, but you knew about that the minute it happened if you're on my Telegram channel. It's so weird. So many suicides are happening. And then her last weird statement, and I'm like, oh, could this be another Brittany Murphy? Because 
the actual articles aren't saying she committed suicide. They're saying alleged suicide. And I'm like, wait a minute, why would you say alleged if everyone's saying suicide? It's almost like the story of the North Dakota attorney general where he was found unresponsive and they did CPR, but it was just an ulcer. And then he came back to life and he looks really good. And then he died from the ulcer. Meanwhile, every single person that interacted with the attorney general has signed an NDA, definitely not suicide. So weird. So weird. Definitely not. Then we have Spotify. Who's canceled me, by the way? Because I was number three in podcasts. They had to get rid of me um, on their, like, no joke. And so now, you know, they all want to cancel Joe Rogan because of misinformation. And apparently, Los Angeles Times says, popular Spotify podcaster Joe Rogan on Sunday night responded to allegations of misinformation on his audio program, pledging to do a better job of balancing different perspectives and putting more time into researching topics. And quote, I'm going to do my best, but my point of doing this is always just to create interesting conversations and ones that I hope people enjoy. Rogan said in a nine minute video statement released on Spotify and on his Instagram page. So if I piss you off, I'm sorry. And if you enjoyed the podcast, thank you. See, you know, now the royalty came out. Oh, you need to, like, who the hell listens to Kate Middleton anyway on Spotify? Are you kidding me? Like, where are they getting these news? It's like they're inventing it. You know, they're inventing it. But I digress. I digress. People are going to find out the truth. They're going to know the truth. They're going to understand the truth. And they're going to see it dead in the eye. And a lot of people are not going to be okay with it. Because now that the AIDS conversation is creeping up and everyone's getting standardized HIV tests, like I said they would a year ago, you know, here we are because nobody paid attention to say, wait a minute, you're putting something in my body that I'm not allowed to read the insert for. You're telling me it's an experiment, but it's supposedly approved even though it's an experiment. Wait, this is a global experiment. And you used HIV to ban this technology that you don't know how it's going to operate in my body but I won't get AIDS. It's just a little bit of HIV. You'll be fine. Yeah. He only, I was going to say something pretty crass, but, um, you know, it only went a little bit in. Yeah. Still got AIDS. So, you know, that's the way it is. Okay. That's the way it is. It's like, <laughs> it only touched it. Still got AIDS. I only got one drop of a blood transfusion. Still got AIDS. That's the way it is. Just a little bit. Okay. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. It wasn't a lot. It was like maybe one and it was like out. Still got HIV. So, you know, it's so stupid. Oh, it's only a little bit of HIV. And it's like, yeah, no big deal. Just HIV that kills your immune system just to ban this new technology and we don't know how it reacts. Fair enough. I'm okay with that. Damn. Worldwide, a global test. I mean, tomorrow is the year of the tiger, right? And so I'm thinking to myself, year of the tigers tomorrow. Um, news is like so weird, right? And <laughs> 
They make zero sense. They're recycling things. And tomorrow, being the year of the tiger, I would say the Rocky Monument would be awesome tomorrow. Play the Eye of the Tiger on National Freedom Day tomorrow. Kind of so cool. That would be kind of cool. I mean, I really hope that there's somebody that would be around the Rocky Steps and play some Eye of the Tiger and run up on National Freedom Day, which is the 1st of February. So uh, that's uh, <laughs> it's pretty cool. In the meantime... <laughs> Before we get into what I really wanted us to talk about, um, the president had a rally on Saturday, as you all know. A pretty good rally, actually. It was uh, it was well-received. There were a lot of people. And um, it had some really good um, information. And for all of us, right, there was some really good stuff that the president told us. And what's cool is, is that in Conroe, Texas, we have a lot of red-blooded Americans. A lot of President Trump supporters. But what we also have is the epicenter of the conglomerate that helped steal the elections, fund these insurrections, and continue to propagate false information. And if you remember on Friday, we had a long talk about attorney generals, just because it so happened that the attorney general of North Dakota passed away, but the state's still being sued on his behalf, of course. Um, and, um, how President Trump is completely uh, being, you know, maliciously hunted down by an attorney general that literally ran on the premise, I'm going to get Trump. And it's like, yeah, so that's not a valid thing to campaign on as attorney general of New York. You're supposed to campaign on, I will help you with consumer fraud. I will block Jamaicans making calls from grant to grannies and stealing their money. I will, you know, help stop fentanyl coming in. I will stop illegal migrants from doing some conglomerates. I will stop money laundering from places like these organizations like upstate where Hillary is, you know, stuff like that. Like I'll investigate United Way and their things and the Red Cross. That's the stuff you run on as an attorney general. Not I'm going to get Trump. And it's like, dude, you can't do that. If you don't have a complaint or an actual, well, an actual complaint that's verifiable, with actual evidence, you're committing a crime because you're wasting taxpayer dollars. And see, we had this whole conversation and it's almost as if, you know, fingers on the pulse right there. And it's not just that attorney general, it's a lot of attorney generals and a lot of prosecutors around America. And you know what strikes me on? Let's pretend I was President Trump. And I knew that things were happening, exposés were coming, elections are going to get decertified and all this stuff, right? I wouldn't sit there and say, I'm coming right now, five minutes, I'll be adult. No, I'll be back in 2022. No, you can't say shit like that. 
First of all, any idiot saying, oh my God, he's talking about 2024. And it's like, okay, let's pretend he said 2022. Do you know what that's called? I'll tell you what it's called. It's called advocating to overthrow the government. Apparently the government or the regime or the tyrants that are installed right now are considered the government. So if I sit there and say, yep, I'm coming back and I'm booting them out in a couple months. Yeah, that's called I'm overthrowing the government. That's actually a crime. So stop nagging and be realistic. Be realistic with things that are being said and how they're being said and what is being said. When I see comments like that, I'm like, damn, they still don't get it. Come on, come on. He's not going to sit there and tell you, yeah, guess what? I'm coming back tomorrow. What? Already they're talking about him planning another federal coup. And it's like, wait a minute, you guys orchestrated the first one. So is he doing his first one, second one? Like which one, which one are you? How do you identify as a coup when you do it and, and then blame us? Is that identified as a coup by like, this? Is so crazy. So crazy. But I thought, Take time and look at the the nice stuff he actually said. He said some really good stuff. Let's go. For the United States of America, image changing that did so much to hurt our country. That was a moment that was so embarrassing and so horrible. And Joe Biden's weakness and incompetence is creating a very real risk of World War III. Look at what's going on. This would have never happened with us. Never even, it was never even a thought would have never happened. If you care about your future, your family and your country, then you have no choice. This November, you have to throw these raving lunatics the hell out of power and elect strong, smart, tough Republicans who will restore your borders, protect your safety, defend your jobs, and put America first. With Biden and the radical left, it's always America last, and that's what they do. You look at these horrible deals they make throughout the world, it's always America last. Everyone in Washington is obsessing over how to protect Ukraine's border. But the most important border in the world right now for us is not Ukraine's border, it's America's border, and we do nothing about it but let people come in and we have no idea who they are. The first duty of the American president is to defend the American border. Before our leaders talk about invasions of other countries, they need to stop the invasion of this country. It's being invaded. It's being invaded by people that should not be allowed to do. You know, we had the safest border, the strongest border that we've ever had just one year ago. And before Joe Biden send any troops to defend a border in Eastern Europe, he should be sending troops to defend our border right here in Texas. When I left office, we handed so many incredible things to the new administration, but one of the best was that great, secure border. And it wasn't even close. There's never been a border like that. You saw it. People tell me they said it was like we were living in a different world. It was so nice. They had never seen it. We had stopped 
not only the people coming in that we didn't want in most cases, or certainly in many cases, but the drugs now are surging. We had it down to the lowest level in decades. Yet under Biden, over 5 million people trespassed illegally across our border last year alone. Think of it, 5 million people. And we have no idea who the hell they are or where they came from. But you'll be paying a price for years to come. This was not a minor incursion. This was the single largest mass border incursion probably in the history of the world. There's never been a country that would allow this to happen. You can go to third world countries or fourth world countries. They wouldn't allow this to happen. Normally a nation has to lose a war to a foreign power in order to lose its border. And yet our border has been surrendered. Look, we have surrendered our border. It's been surrendered by our own president and the Democrats, just like Biden surrendered to Afghanistan. And now the entire planet is intruding across it as though America had been defeated on the field of battle. There's no other excuse for it. And even during the debates, nobody said that this was going to happen. Nobody said we were going to have totally open borders. And if they said it, we wouldn't have believed them. No, nobody would have believed that. Biden's complete abdication of duty is getting untold numbers of innocent Americans killed. On Biden's watch last year, Border Patrol saw a 350% increase in criminal aliens breaking across our border, including 1,900% more murders. 1,900%. In the sanctuary state of New York, three savage illegal alien MS-13 gang member killers were charged last year with beating a 31-year-old mother with a baseball bat, hacking her to pieces with a machete and stuffing her body into the trunk of a car. Three months ago, an illegal alien with a prior criminal record violently carjacked a woman at a gas station in suburban Kentucky, shot her 16-year-old son who was in the car and went on a two-week-long crime spree of brutal carjackings and armed robbery, hurting many people right now in hospitals all over that great state. In Beverly Hills, California, the crime is so bad that rich people leave their car trunks open so the vandals and thieves won't destroy their cars when robbing them. Think of that. That's Beverly Hills. A lot of money in Beverly Hills, right? They're not so happy. You know, people have asked me and they said, would you do it? And I said, I'll do it. I have to find it, but I'm going to do it. But it's nice to have a memory where you don't really have to read it. But let's read it anyway. Let's read it anyway. They wanted to hear the snake. I haven't done that in a long Does anybody know what that is? And this, as you know, has to do with him. This is, he says, has to do with immigration. It's a thing of betrayal. He read the snake poem. That was our theme on Friday, right? So he read the snake poem. Let's go to... He does. He waits till the show is just ready to go on. Any empty slot, he says, I'll give you $200 for it to Fox. 
had had it almost completely stopped. People can come into our country, but they have to love our country, President. And right now, you have a president of the United States who is grossly incompetent. Yes, he is. We would have had a deal with Iran. They were begging for it. We would have had a deal with Iran. The sanctions were killing them. We would have, they would have had a deal within one week after the election. We would have had a deal with Iran. Now they're being tough with the United States. Putin would never have moved troops to Ukraine. China would never have even thought about taking over Taiwan. I mean, Taiwan. That wasn't even going to be discussed with myself and President Xi. And watch what happens after the Olympics. I'm a good predictor. Watch what happens right after the Olympics with Taiwan and China. The Afghanistan surrender was perhaps the most embarrassing moment in the history of our country. We took the military out first, left hostages, caused death and injury to many people. During the 18 months before the surrender, not one American soldier was killed under my watch. Not one. 18 months. And I talked with Abdul. I said, don't do it, Abdul. Don't do it. Don't do it. You're not going to be happy if you do it. Not one soldier. I talked to him. Abdul, he's currently the leader, too. He made a good deal. He got himself $85 billion worth of equipment. They had a parade two months ago down some street. Let me tell you something else about the Taliban, right, that you probably won't hear. But there's a pregnant journalist for New Zealand that was, um, was in Afghanistan. She put an application to go back home. She had to apply to go back home. And she's a pregnant TV reporter from New Zealand. And she said it was really ironic that she asked for help from Abdul, from the Taliban. Because her country that sent her there to report, of course, said she can't come back because of COVID. Her name is Charlotte Bellis. And I don't know why no one's talking about it. She writes for the New Zealand Herald and they refused to let her come back because the place is considered isolation. And so, uh, she is unmarried. She's pregnant and they promised her that she will be fine. Though there's more to the story because she's actually worked for Al Jazeera, which is Qatari, right? Um, and um, she worked for them in Doha um, during the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan. But you guys remember the relationship Qatar has with Afghanistan because the head of the Taliban party is in Qatar right? So because the Taliban headquarters for their political party is in Qatar, the Taliban cut a deal for her because she worked for the Qataris. So it's a little bit more complicated, right? But we have to just talk about the issue that they won't let their own citizen, right? That they sent there to report for the New Zealand Herald to come back home because Afghanistan is considered COVID, that it has COVID issues, which by the way, none of them are taking the vaccine and none of them are wearing masks and there are no COVID deaths. But they refuse entry to their own citizen, I repeat, because of COVID. It makes zero sense, but she realized 
she's probably realized, and she may be a good advocate on popping and blowing the whistles on this COVID thing, right? Because um, it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. So I thought I would just tell you guys, you can look it up. No one's reporting about it, right? That she had to go to her old employer in Al Jazeera, uh, in Qatar, because she worked for Al Jazeera, to cut a deal and the Taliban promised her safety, even though she's unwed and married by herself, because her country told her, we're not taking you back. Um, so uh, you guys should look that up. It's not a joke. This is actual real news that they're not going to tell you about because, you know, COVID's real and we just abandon our citizens if they're not coming. So in Afghanistan, they were parading off all of our beautiful new equipment. Can you imagine that? 70,000 trucks, 700,000 machine guns and and guns and rifles, 700,000. They're now a major arms dealer. They're selling all of our stuff. They'll keep enough for themselves, but they need 120th of what they have. Night goggles, that's better than what we have. They have the newest model, not even taken out of the boxes. Brand new planes, brand new helicopters, the best helicopters in the world, giving them to China so that China can take them apart and build them in their own fashion, giving them to Russia so they can take apart and re-engineer. I was withdrawing also. We should have withdrawn after 21 years, but we would have withdrawn with dignity and with strength. And we wouldn't have been embarrassed. We would have been the opposite. We would have kept Bagram, the big air base that we spent billions and billions of dollars building 25 years ago, not because of Afghanistan, but because it's located one hour away from the Chinese nuclear weapons plant. And now China will occupy this base, which cost us so much money. We ran without even turning off the lights. We left, can you imagine? We left Bagram, the biggest Air Force base in the world, longest and most powerful. Let's also remember that we left behind all the canines in their cages. Didn't even let them out. The Taliban had to do that. And Muslims hate dogs. They considered them dirty. So I just wanted to point that out too. Runways, eight feet thick of concrete and steel. We left that to the Chinese to take over right next to China. One hour. Think of that. One hour away from where they make their nuclear weapon. Wouldn't it have been nice for us to have kept that? $85 billion worth of equipment behind, including the dogs. They did leave the dogs, by the way. You know, they tried to say, oh, we did. So this is what we have. We have an incompetent government that was elected through a rigged election, and they don't know what the hell they're doing. It's actually amazing that I received the first time 63 million votes because the press is corrupt, totally corrupt. The press is the enemy of the people. All right. They're totally corrupt. And the first time won the election and then did much better the second time. It was interesting. I was being interviewed by a New York Times reporter. He said, what happened the second time? I said, well, we did much better. We got 12 million more votes. He said, you know, come to think of it. It's true, actually. But, you know, when something's rigged, it wouldn't have mattered if I got 25 million more votes. That's how bad it was. 
It would have been impossible to lose if I had even 63 or 64. The number one pollster in the country said, if you got 64 million votes or 65 million votes, it's not possible that you lose. We got 75 million votes and they stole it. They rigged it. And it's a disgrace to our nation. We're like a third world country. And our country is paying the biggest price in its history because we're going to hell and we're going to hell very fast. And we soon will not have a country left with all that's happening to this incredible land of ours by these radical left crazy people. And just remember this in one year, what they've done to our country. It's not even believable. If you would have said all of these things were happening with the economy, with inflation, with our military, with our woke generals that are, they don't have a clue with all of the, and by the way, we have great generals. I just want to leave you with some positive. When I took on, and you have to understand, this is very important because I took on ISIS. We took on al-Baghdadi, all the other, our military is incredible. But not the generals that you see on television. Those guys are not incredible. And they don't represent our country. And they don't represent who we are. As we speak, the radical Democrats are aggressively pushing to permanently expand their mass mail-in ballot fraud nationwide. And you wonder, why do they want to do that when they cheated so successfully in the election, right? They don't have a voting rights bill. They have a voting fraud bill. That's a voting fraud. That's a bill that says... If you pass this, there will never be a Republican elected again in this country. That's what that bill says. Every Senate Democrat supports abolishing voter ID in every state, forcing ballot harvesting on every state, forcing unsecured drop boxes on every state, and letting left-wing billionaires pump dark money into local election offices. So, Zuckerberg, right? 417 million. You know, if you're involved in politics and if you give 10 cents more than $5,600, they put you in jail. This guy gave $417 million and they're doling it out all over. See, this is why Tory says LLC brought up the argument of Citizens United versus FVC. You know, those Zucker dollars, a funny thing, in the state of Ohio, the Secretary of State that's currently Secretary of State took a lot of Zuckerberg money. Just saying, just pointing it out, just pointing it out. Over the country, it's a disgrace. The only possible reason for Democrats to support such a bill is that they want to enable cheating and fraud on a massive scale like you've never seen before. But I think we have seen it before because I don't believe they could do it any better or any more than they did it in the election of 2020. No, don't bet your life on that one. Uh, they've got some tricks up their sleeves. There's still two other ways. But you know where we're losing the argument? This, this thing about voter ID. See, one thing that I've said many, many times before is the power of words. And words have power, okay? And if you're running and you're talking about voter ID, you've already lost that battle. Voter ID should not even come out of your mouth. Because voter ID is going to be something that they're going to go full speed ahead in March. Stacey Abrams, you haven't seen the last of that one. Hence why 
the bridge collapsed with her walking on on the meme. In September, you're going to see something insane happen. And you're going to be like, what the heck? The conversation has to change. You can't have the conversation and using the words voter ID. You use that conversation, you lose. The only way to take the power away from what they're saying is by not using their words. Because the minute they have to explain to people that your words means their words, no matter how left you are, you're going to see right through that shit. So you'll see. Just remember that. We can't use those words to win. When Republicans take over, we need to pass voter ID, signature verification, residency confirmation, no more unmanned and unsecured drop boxes. You ever see these drop boxes? Did you ever look at the votes that came in, the percentages? They were nice when they gave me 1%. And no more ballot harvesting. No more ballot harvesting. And that's what the law calls for. We should pass legislation cracking down hard on any city or state that attempts to allow illegal aliens to vote. Only American citizens should vote in American elections. And if it were solely up to me, I'd have one day elections using only paper ballots except for military and seriously ill or disabled people. One day, we have these elections, they go on for weeks and weeks. The boxes are sitting in corners. They're moving all over the place. Nobody knows what the hell is going on. Few people do. How about the woman? She grabbed the votes under the table. Did remember the leak? They have, we have a water main break. Everybody leave. They come back in, lift up the skirt of the table and start. This is what we have. It's a disgrace. We're like a third world country. We're just nine months away from what could be the most important midterm victory in all of American history. Great people, including the people that we just mentioned. Our country is at stake and we need a landslide so enormous that the radical Democrats cannot steal it no matter what they do. That's what we need. If we make it big enough, it gets very, very hard. So to every patriot, Here today, I ask you to get ready to work, to get ready to fight, and to get ready to win and win like never before. This is the year we're going to take back the House. We're going to take back the Senate. We're going to take back America. Into department stores and smash the hell out of it and grab it. And they just get out for nothing. There's no recrimination. Biden has abolished the southern border, canceled the key where you come from, son. But Texas is not going to be very close. Uh, Louis Gomert in the audience. Where the hell is Louis? Louis Gomert. 95%. I said, all right, let's go home. They all said, he didn't do 100. So we stayed a little longer. We did 100. They couldn't do it. Nobody. Bush didn't do it. Obama didn't do it. Obama. Barack Hussein Obama. How's he doing? How's he doing? So weird that he said Barack Hussein Obama. I'm just like, okay. 
How is he doing? We withdrew from the disastrous Iran nuclear deal, a disaster. Now they want to go back into it. It's a path for them to have nuclear weapons. It brought back our troops. We brought them back home where they should be. GGs from Afghanistan. Thank you very much. Only a tiny percentage of Virginia, one of these unscreened refugees, was convicted of and that they found it. But the fake news didn't even want a great book on that was done. The fake news didn't even want to talk about it. And all the rest of the Biden's graph was censored by the media and the big tech giants during the campaign. And the reason they did that is because they knew that it represented maybe 15 points and maybe more of downfall. See, you know what's going to be weird? What if someone publicly asked me a question and I'd be like, hey, if I look into Hunter Biden's laptop, oh, wait, it's right here. Anybody want to take a look? Will I find your name? You know, people need to be called out. That's the way it is. People need to be called out to the table. This is all. I dare you ask me the question. I will search the computer right now, see if there's a picture of you or an email of you. Let's take a look. I should have that with me everywhere I go and be like, by the way, this is Hunter Biden's laptop. Anybody want to take a peek? Bet you you're going to find some really cool Republicans in it. Lots of Democrats and journalists and who knows, maybe even candidates. So weird. It's weird. And he is telling you, no one wanted to talk about it. Nobody wanted to bring attention to the crimes that are in there. Nobody. The pictures that he has with his dad traveling, you have to think of that. China, Serbia, the Vatican, right? All of these. And I I remember when I was at Times Square, I started asking people, hey, here's Hunter Biden's laptop. Would you like to take a look? I was like, think of a topic that you think of corruption and let's search to see what emails come up with the White House. Hey, want me to show you Joe Biden's and Barack Hussein Obama's secret email? They weren't using White House accounts when having communications. And a guy just stood back. He's like, that's not right. And I was like, yeah, it totally is. And this is why when Garrett had a copy of the computer, I had him come over to me. I gave him a nice clean copy because he can put together a report. A lot of people say he's junior, he's this, he's, he's thorough. And that's what counts. Garrett is thorough and he's patient and he looks at things and he has the cojones to make phone calls too and actually talk to the people in the laptop. So he's very smart and hence why he has a very clean copy. It's almost as if it's Hunter's laptop. (laughs) You sign in. I mean, mine actually says Hunter Biden and I have a password and you get in there and you can see everything, right? It's nicely put in. Everything's in the email. The photos are in the photos. The photo booth are in the photo booth, right? Um, The files are in the files, whichever we have, because a lot of that stuff is synced with iCloud. And it's not like we're going to go hack stuff, right? Because then that would be wrong. We use what we have, right? So there's a lot of damning information in there, a lot of it. And 
you know, he's putting together, there was a book written about it. It was good, but there were no citations. Like there wasn't like, here's the email that I'm talking about, or here's a picture of it, you know, and we're not talking about, uh, the poop pics and the random sex videos that he has of himself or getting high. Right. We're talking about, you know, senior officials, politicians, foreign dignitaries, right? Inside the White House, White House officials, right? Military members. Those are the things that matter because when everyone started reporting on the laptop, they kept talking about his porn, you know, all of this stuff, right? It, it, it doesn't matter. Like nobody cares that he does drugs. Okay. He's a drug addict. We know a lot of druggies and losers, right? They all act like losers and they have, and you have pictures of him in crack houses, having sex with whores, two of them at a time, right? Weird pictures of his nieces and brothers, kids and whatever, but that's criminal in the sense of my gosh, and sick, like watching him get high or go to a party. The actual good pictures that are important are the ones of him and, and his dad in Africa or, you know, in Israel or, you know, in Serbia and, and, and Ukraine and, and China. So those are the stuff that we should concern ourselves with. Not with the fact that he's a criminal, that he signed a document saying that he hasn't done drugs to get a weapon, but there's video of him literally on a binge doing drugs a couple days ago before he submitted it on his laptop. Like, hold on a second. What? Like he committed a crime. It's like he has evidence. There's evidence. Like, it's not like we're saying it, right? It's evidence. Like here's the video. It was a three day drug binge with all these people. And then he flew out and went to Pennsylvania. That's when he submitted it. He had just gone on a three day binge. We have video, we have photos and texts ordering Parmesan. And yet he files this and it's okay. And now, and now we actually have our own government saying, well, drop the investigation of the crime of him falsifying it. No, no. And who are you going to complain to? That's another one. Who are you going to tell? Apparently the government accountability office that had a website where all the citizens can file complaints of waste, fraud, and abuse has now decided that they're not going to be accepting any citizen complaints. But I'm like thinking, hold on a second. Weren't they created for the purpose of accountability and that citizens can access and provide information and initiate investigations? Well, if they're not going to be doing that, then we need to get rid of it. They literally changed it saying, oh yeah, we're changing this. So you can't change that without Congress saying so. The organization was created for that. So why is it that you can change the MO of your agencies like the IRS saying, yeah, as of today, we don't collect taxes. We just go into your bank account and take 
your extra change. So every time you swipe your card, whatever's left over will round it to the nearest dollar. And you're going to be like, no, you collect taxes. Well, no, I round up to the next dollar in your bank account and um, I sell strawberries. And you're just like, wait a minute, my tax dollars are not funding the IRS to not do what they are for. So right now we're funding an agency that's not doing its job. It decided, oh yeah, citizens can't talk to us. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. You're paying for us to exist so that you can communicate to us. But yeah, we don't want to do that. You guys are actually using the service. We got to stop that now. See, that's how it works. Just like voting. If it actually worked, you wouldn't be allowed to do it. And now that the system worked, you're no longer allowed to do it. And you know, it's weird. The verbiage was changed on January 20th, not only there, but at the department of justice, there was a link on the website from the office of the inspector general of the justice department that said, click here to report fraud, waste, and abuse. And guess what? On January 20th, they took that down too. Peasant, you're going to tell me that I need to investigate my own division because you want to whistleblow on something? No, you got to work for us to tell us that you saw something wrong. And that's not going to happen because there's something called retaliation because there is no whistleblowing because once you file a whistleblower complaint, they know who the whistleblower is. And then suddenly they'll play dumb. They'll be like, oh, that division didn't know that you complained. You just seem to be a really shitty employee. That's why you got fired and we took away all your benefits. See, huh? So now you're not even allowed to question your government according to the government and you need to suck it up buttercup. So weird. It's almost as if they're working against us, not with us. In other words, even with all of their cheating, all of the horrible things they did during the election, even with that, they would lose the election. It represented a 15-point fall. So the media got together, and outside of the New York Post, which I give a lot of credit for, they refused to talk about it. The radical Democrats spent years investigating fake scandals, the Mueller hoax, impeachment hoax number one, impeachment hoax number two, the unselect committee on January 6th. How about that committee? And the outrageous civil and criminal harassment in New York and Atlanta of a person known as Donald Trump. Have you ever heard of him? And Biden has the real scandals and rest assured when Republicans retake Congress, the Biden corruption will be investigated and exposed by Congress. But we no longer have a free and fair press. If we did, all of this would end. It wouldn't be there. It's actually just the opposite. As an example, One American News. Do we like it? It's a very popular carrier of our voice, your voice, my voice, everybody's voices. And unexpectedly, last week, they announced that they're going to be shutting down. This is AT&T shutting down One American News. So what's happening is DirecTV, which is owned by Time Warner, is just, I mean, think of it, think of it, CNN, how bad, by the way, tell Let me stop right there. There's an article that I wrote in 2018 talking about Dish Network and Time Warner. In fact, let me see if I can pull it up. 
because President Trump actually took them to court, um, which was important because they went to court. Hold on, let me let me let me search it for you guys. Um, Dish Network. Socializing TV, free speech under attack. Almost like I'm a time traveler. Let me share that with you. Okay. Let me share that with you. Because, see, you can't connect the dots forward, but you can connect the dots backwards. So here is the article. And as you can see, the title is Socializing TV, Free Speech Under Attack. So I define socialism, which basically <laughs> is monopolies. The aim of socialism is to create monopolies. So you can have absolute control of the information. Duh. So let me click on the article so you can see it. Now, President Trump actually sued. And the reason he did it was because of Dish Network. So the complaint was, uh, you know, that they're, they're, they're going to be a monopoly. So President Trump, you know, tried to stop it. Hold on. So an example of the power structure, AT&T is buying Time Warner and thus CNN, a deal we will not approve in my administration because it's too much concentration of power in the hands of the few. He said that in his speech on October 22nd, 2016. He made that clear before he was president. And he actually delivered. Oh my gosh, sorry guys. So according to January 7th, uh, to an article in January 2019, Trump told a friend in the last few weeks that he still considers the merger to be a bad deal who asked not to be identified because the conversation was private. Trump's chief strategist, Steve Bannon, is also opposed to the deal, another one said. Now, what happened was President Trump was right, and he wanted, they, what they wanted to do was crack down on hate speech. So he tried to block the merger on behalf of the people. A lot of you aren't even aware of this because the media didn't even report this. So a lot of people didn't even know the battles that he fought in the dark for every single American because he could foresee what was coming. So he tried to block it. And just so you guys know that a federal judge approved the 85 billion mega merger between AT&T and Time Warner in June of 2018. And now people, when I wrote the article in October, are getting the brunt of it. The judge's name is Judge Richard Leon. He allowed the merger to happen. The Trump Justice Department had sued to block it and they let it go. And the judge said they failed to prove the merger would lead to higher prices and harm consumers because harming consumers for, you know, the Ministry of Truth was enough. It needed to be money. But here's where the judge was wrong. And I don't understand why Dish Network didn't file and say, hey, judge, you were fucking wrong because I can't offer my customers HBO because they just racked up the price. And now they're the only ones that can give it or anybody else that pays a higher price. So this is something that happened. See, still wondering what's taking just so long to negotiate with HBO. Uh, back on the menu for watching. Don't think I'm alone. Hi, we've always negotiating with our distributors in good faith and continue to do so. Dude, they didn't. They didn't. They wouldn't. 
they wouldn't give it. Again, President Trump was right about that too. Nobody wants to listen to that. He was right about that too. I want to remind you something about President Trump. I want to play a State of the Union address that's pretty fascinating. And the way he works is just incredible. So hold on. I don't know. And they deserve a government that shows them the same love and loyalty in return. For the last year, we have sought to restore the bonds of trust between our citizens and and their their government. government. Working with the Senate, we are appointing judges who will interpret the Constitution as written, including a great new Supreme Court justice and more circuit court judges than any new administration in the history of our country. We are totally defending our Second Amendment and have taken historic actions to protect religious And we are serving our brave veterans, including giving our veterans choice in their health care decisions. Last year, Congress also passed, and I signed, the landmark VA Accountability Act. Since its passage, my administration has already removed more than 1,500 VA employees who failed to give our veterans the care they deserve, and we are hiring talented people who love our vets as much as we do. And I will not stop until our veterans are properly taken care of, which has been my promise to them from the very beginning of this great journey. All Americans deserve accountability and respect, and that's what we are giving to our wonderful heroes, our veterans. Thank you. So tonight, I call on Congress to empower every cabinet secretary with the authority to reward good workers and to remove federal employees who undermine the public trust or fail the American people.
And I will not stop until our veterans are properly taken care of, which has been my promise to them from the very beginning of this great journey. All Americans deserve accountability and respect. And that's what we are giving to our wonderful heroes, our veterans. Thank you. Accountability, General Milley. I want you now to listen to the next portion of it. Accountability, accountability. So tonight I call on Congress. He called on Congress. To empower every cabinet secretary. So every cabinet secretary that he has. With the authority to reward good workers. If you're a good patriotic American that follows the Constitution, you should be rewarded. And to remove federal employees. Like the ones that we saw on the Zoom calls, that train sunrise movement, that call for federal coups, that organize with Antifa, that organize with the Lincoln Project, that have federal coup retreats, you know, those. Who undermine the public trust or who are you? Using our resources and creating a federal coup, slowing down things. And if people want to go in the Capitol, and they are going to want to go, we're going to let them. Fail the American people. Congress did fail us on that because they didn't do any of that, even though they were empowered by the president of the United States in 2018. But don't worry. The American citizens have. All of you have. You have done your digging. You've put together your reports. You have done your leaking and posting and providing information to mainstream media so they can talk about it. And there's people in the background, of course, working on this stuff. So I thought that was quite interesting. Before we get into an introduction of the metaverse, I want to take a quick, short, super short break. I'm feeling like some North Korean style. You know why? Because they just shot a missile that can actually take out Guam, right? And nobody's talking about it. They're just testing out these brand new missiles. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Be right back.
Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Op, 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 op. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Op, 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 op. Open Gangnam Style. Gotta be a ghost to see how they work, right? I think only ghosts can see ghosts, right? They could see them. And you know what? Then they get offended. Have you guys ever seen Casper the Ghost, right? The 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 animated cartoon where, you know, he's hanging out in house and then somebody moves in and then, you know, Casper hides because other ghosts come in and then they freak out because they could see Ca Casper could see them. And they're like, Oh, don't tell him that we're here. We want to spook him out. And they were worried that the spook is going to tell on them. You know, sigh, right? Great song. Great song. All about ghostbusters. So, um, this week is quite exciting. It's going to be quite interesting. But speaking of ghosts, let's talk about ghosts in the machine. A lot of people keep talking about metaverse and don't seem to um, get it. Like, what's the point? So we just have AI of ourselves? Yeah, that ghost in the machine. So I did talk about a long time ago how they have patents on your virtual athletes and actors. Meaning, you know, your Magic Johnson is really an AI version of Magic Johnson, and they own it. Funny, because I'm looking to find out who is the one that owns Joe Biden, because I found a signed contract. So maybe it'll lead me to the license and patent number of that company, I'm pretty sure. And I'm still looking into that. That's been something that I kind of have been looking into for a while, and I'm almost there. So close. I feel like I need to take a trip to Delaware. So Ghosts in the Machine. 
Metaverse is something that will happen, but it has to happen the right way. And this is what the problem is. If you remember in 2020, I called it the year of a historian's wet dream. Everything that had happened in the past happened all in one year, right? We had dust bowls. We had, well, it got under the, it was, it was pretty insane. We had race wars. We had killer locusts. What were the, the uh, killer hornets, right? We had the Spanish flu pandemic, whatever you want to call it. We had weird weather and hurricanes that turn at 90 degree angles. So weird. Then we had dust bunnies in space that also took 90 degree angle turns. Dust bunnies, but they were solids, but just believe them because they're the scientists. They were dust bunnies in space that took turns. And then we had everyone finding how Amazon was talking about reanimated corpses. And if they bit you, you're not covered or something. I mean, we had everything. And now... They're going to throw out this, the future. Are you going to get in early or are you going to wait? It's going to happen. But here's what the real war is over. Obviously, human beings, humankind. And they need you to comply. And see, obviously, if a few of you disappear, it's better for them. Less people to control, of course. Uh, makes the ratio better than them at half percent. Not even. What is it called? The elites are only 1% of the population. Top 1%, cream of the crop that control you. See, they need your identity with your consent, of course. See, you consented to Obamacare so they could take all your records and share it with people. And now you have a bunch of companies that have different profiles. So there's probably one app that you use or a service where you buy rosaries and candles and prayer books and, you know, you just look like you should be a nun or a priest. And then in the other app, you're watching gangbangs, you know, uh, you know, group sex out in the open amateur. So that's another profile. And then there's another profile of you, um, you know, being a faithful wife and getting tips on how to be a homemaker or a good husband. And, you know, you look great and that's more data. Hey, this person is a great, you know, marital partner. And other apps like, damn, this person is into some kinky multi-person porn. And then this other app says, no, 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 this person is a nun. And then there's another app that says you like cars. So they take all that information and put it under one file, your name. And suddenly they create an identity for you. And so suddenly there's you sitting at your desk, on your bed, on your couch, in your car, in your chair right now. And then there's the you they've compiled over the data they've collected from your health, to your banking, to your crypto stock choices, stock portfolio choices, shit you say to your friends, shit you say about your friends, how you talk to your parents, they have everything. And they've created an identity for you.
Now, the only way that this identity has any value is to create a universe of the internet in which it exists and operates like an entity. I mean, you're a great executive assistant, but you don't need to be in the office, but you can have the feel of the office where it's all, you're like beamed in there and you're wearing your Oculus. I think I showed you that clip with the reporters at MSNBC trying it out. Do you remember how it was like they were walking in the office and they were there, but they weren't, they were really at home. And maybe one of them was an AI, but they wouldn't know because they'll probably think that that person's wearing an Oculus too. <laughs> so weird. So suddenly it's like you, me, and Joe. So it's Dettori, Joe, and, and, and Larry, and we're all sitting down. We're having coffee. We're talking. And then it's like, yeah, so you guys can work from home. Here's your Oculus. You got your computer system. You're good to go. And I'm like, yo, Larry and Joe, this is sweet. I'll be in my pajamas, but I can dress really hot, make myself look better, you know, and suddenly we're Oculus meeting, right? And we're working away. 10 years go by. Joe died, but me and Mo and Larry didn't know because Joe was still turning up for work. We were like, yo, Joe, Hey, he'd be like, Hey, and he'd still be talking and still, you know, having conversations and getting data done. Like we asked him, but it wasn't Joe. It was a, an AI that replaced him. And then a few years later, you know, Larry, walking under a building, piano falls on him and he's dead. And there's me working. Hey, Joe, uh, you know, can I get those numbers? Yeah, great. Hey, Larry, did you get that data set ready? Yeah. And I don't know that both of the people that I knew and worked with no longer exist because I'm in the metaverse and their profiles have been compiled over time. That's what the metaverse is. Now, Let's see how CNET told you it is, because it's important that we listen to their words. It is only through their words and their statements that you can understand what's coming. Us to adopt a new company brand to, to encompass, encompass everything that we do, to reflect who we are and what we hope to build. I am proud to announce that starting today, our company is now Meta. To infinity and beyond. Our mission remains the same. It's still about bringing people together. Our apps and their brands, they're not changing either. And we are still the company that designs technology around people. Hey, and welcome to Connect. Today, we're gonna talk about the metaverse, starting with the most important experience of all, connecting with people. Imagine you put on your glasses or headset and you're instantly in your home space. It has parts of your physical home recreated virtually. It has things that are only possible virtually. And it has an incredibly inspiring view of whatever you find most beautiful. Hey, are you coming? Yeah, just got to find something to wear. All right, perfect. Oh, hey, Mark. Hey, what's going on? Hi. Hi what's up, Mark? Whoa, we're floating in space? Uh -huh. Who made this place? It's awesome. <laughs> right? It's from a crater. I met in L.A. Uh, this place is amazing. <laughs> Boz, is that you? Of course it's me. You know I had to be the robot, man. I thought I was supposed to be the robot. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I knew you were bluffing. <laughs> hey, wait. Where is Naomi? Let's yes, call her. Naomi. <laughs> hey, should we deal you in? Hey. 
Sorry, I'm running late, but you've got to see what we're checking out. There's an artist going around Soho hiding AR pieces for people to find. 3D street art? That's cool. Send that link over so we can all look at it. This is stunning. Okay, that is something. That's awesome. Wow. Oh, I love the movement. Wait, it's it's disappearing. This is amazing. Hold on. I'll tip the artist and they'll extend it. Wow. Privacy and safety need to be built into the metaverse from day one. You'll get to decide when you want to be with other people, when you want to block someone from appearing in your space, or when you want to take a break and teleport to a private bubble to be alone. You're going to be able to bring things from the physical world into the metaverse. Almost any type of media that can be represented digitally, photos, videos, art, music, movies, books, games, you name it. Now, lots of things that are physical today, like screens, will just be able to be holograms in the future. You won't need a physical TV. It'll just be a $1 hologram from some high school kid halfway across the world. And you'll be able to take your items and project them into the physical world as holograms and augmented reality too. One part of this is Horizon Home, which is our early vision for a home space in the metaverse. Horizon Home is the first thing that you'll see when you put on your Quest headset. Today, there are already a bunch of options to choose from, and in the future, anyone will be able to create one. We've just called it Home until now because it's been missing something very important, people. Soon, we're going to be introducing a social version of Home where you can invite your friends to join you as avatars. You'll be able to hang out, watch videos together, and jump into apps together. Then there is Horizon Worlds, which is where you can build worlds and jump into them with people. Horizon is designed to make it possible for everyone to create, and we're already seeing people build some really interesting experiences, from creating new games together, to throwing surprise parties in VR that family and friends around the world can join. Over the last year and a half, a lot of us who work in offices have gone remote. And while I miss seeing the people I work with, I think remote work is here to stay for a lot of people. So we're going to need better tools to work together. Let's take a look at what working in the metaverse will be like. Imagine if you could be at the office without the commute. You would still have that sense of presence, shared physical space, those chance interactions that make your day all accessible from anywhere. Now imagine that you have your perfect work setup and you can actually do more than you could in your regular work setup. And on top of all that, you can keep wearing your favorite sweatpants. And as we focused more on work, and frankly, as we've heard your feedback more broadly, we're working on making it so you can log into Quest with an account other than your personal Facebook account. We're starting to test support for work accounts soon, and we're working on making a broader shift here within the next year. I know this is a big deal for a lot of people. Not everyone wants their social media profile linked to all these other experiences, and I get that, especially as the metaverse expands. And I'll share more about that later. But I'm genuinely optimistic about work in the metaverse. We know from the last couple of years that a lot of people can effectively work from anywhere. But hybrid is going to be a lot more complex when some people are together and others are still remote. So giving everyone the tools to be present, no matter where they are, whether as a hologram sitting next to you in a physical meeting or in a discussion taking place in the metaverse, that's going to be a game changer. I think this could be very positive for our society and economy. Giving people access to jobs in more places, no matter where they live, 
will be a big deal for spreading opportunity to more people. Dropping our daily commutes will mean less time stuck in traffic and more time doing things that matter. And it'll be good for the environment. We plan to continue to either subsidize our devices or sell them at cost to make them available to more people. We'll continue supporting sideloading and linking to PCs so consumers and developers have choice rather than forcing them to use the Quest Store to find apps or reach customers. And we'll aim to offer developer and creator services with low fees in as many cases as possible so we can maximize the overall creator economy while recognizing that to keep investing in this future, we'll need to keep some fees higher for some period to make sure that we don't lose too much money on this program overall. After all, while a growing number of developers are already profitable, we expect to invest many billions of dollars for years to come before the metaverse reaches scale. Today, we're introducing the Presence platform, which is a broad range of machine perception and AI capabilities that empower developers to build uh, mixed reality experiences on Quest 2. Now, you want to tell us more about the Presence platform? Yeah, we've said before that realistic presence is the key to feeling connected in the metaverse. Uh, and the Presence platform's capabilities are what's going to deliver on that promise. Things like environmental understanding, content placement and persistence, voice interaction, standardized hand interactions. In fact, let's start with hands. I mean, the human hand is an engineering marvel. And bringing hands into VR was no easy feat. Uh, it required a lot of collaboration against product, design, research, but we continue to improve that product, finding new ways to navigate with gestures and interact with VR. So today, we're introducing the Interaction SDK, a library of modular components that will make it easy to add hand interactions to your apps. That's pretty exciting. But next year, we are releasing a new product that will push the boundaries of VR even further. We've codenamed it Project Cambria. So this isn't the next Quest. It's going to be compatible with Quest, but Cambria will be a completely new, advanced, and high-end product, and it'll be at the higher end of the price spectrum, too. Our plan here is to keep building out this product line to release our most advanced technology before we can hit the price points that we target with Quest. All right, so let's talk about some of the new advances here. Yeah, sure. There's a ton of new tech going into Cambria. For example, your avatar will be able to make natural eye contact and reflect your facial expressions in real time. This way, people you're interacting with will have a, a real sense of how you're actually feeling. It does mean building more sensors into a form factor that's comfortable to wear for a while. And because we want VR to be for everyone, we also have to make sure avatars represent a diverse set of human facial features and skin tones, as well as paying attention to things like um, glasses and beers that may get in the way of some of the sensors. So that's going to be a big step forward for social presence. And I'm really glad that we're focused on making it inclusive from the start. Now, what about unlocking more mixed reality experiences? I mean, imagine working at your virtual desk with multiple screens while seeing your real desk so clearly that you can pick up a pen and write notes without taking your headset off. Or you know, you're doing a workout with a virtual instructor in your living room. It's gonna be so cool. We're already seeing the potentials of these kinds of experiences today as people are building for a pass-through API. But with Cambria, we'll be taking this to the next level with high resolution, colored, mixed reality pass-through. We essentially combine an array of sensors with reconstruction algorithms to represent your physical world in the headset with a sense of depth and perspective. But the ultimate goal here is true augmented reality glasses. And we've been working on that too. And today, I want to show you an experience that we've been working on for Project Nazare 
which is the codename for our first full augmented reality glasses. Here, you'll see you're chatting with friends on WhatsApp and planning a game night. You can select a game, and then, as you walk over to your kitchen, you can easily just put your game onto the table and you're off. That's the kind of experience that augmented reality will unlock. There's a lot of technical work to get this form factor and experience right. We have to fit hologram displays, projectors, batteries, radios, custom silicon chips, cameras, speakers, sensors to map the world around you, and more into glasses that are about five millimeters thick. So we still have a ways to go with Nazare, but we are making good progress. So as you could see, um, Metaverse is a reflection of this universe, only more controlled with them. Now, while many people say, well, that's this, it's going to be something that is inevitable. I repeat, inevitable. I mean, your lifetime, you may avoid it. And if you have children over 30, they might be able to avoid it, sort of. But it's not happening. But I'll tell you why this was thrown out at the people now that they're locked in and they're at home and they can test because you're buying stuff to give them data voluntarily, of course, so they can make it better. But here's the why. See, whatever company gets to have the most people has your data. This is a war for your identity and a war for your identity with rules and laws that you cannot contest. Therefore, in order for something like this to have a safety measure, Patrick Byrne actually mentioned it on the show. I spoke to the fact of what is really the reason as to the slow walking. Because while I mean, just put them all in jail. And it's like, all right, well, then 100 million Americans will lose their 401ks, Roth IRAs, their banks will be empty, and union funds are gone. Because you want them to go to jail now. What you have to do is recreate your economy where it is valid, where it is solid where it cannot be taken by anyone else that is decentralized from the centralized global economy. And once you have that infrastructure in place, and once you generate the monopoly money, again, you will make sure that everyone, just like in a monopoly game, it's like you get 500, you get 500, you get 500. per se. You'll get exactly what you had, minus the debt, in this new economy. But in order to have that, you also have to have the ability, the laws, and the infrastructure to own your own identity. Meaning no one can claim your data. No one can say, shut up, you know, Joe, You're totally into, you know, feet. And Joe's like, no, I'm, I'm totally not. And Joe really isn't into feet. 
But someone planted the file somewhere on a profile that pretended to be Joe and that collected a lot of data. And so the private company that has your data says, Joe, shut up. You can't contest this shit. It's our data. We say you like feet and you have a fetish with feet. So it's game over right there because you can't contest it. But if your nation, your sovereign nation has laws like the Internet Bill of Rights and your ability to actually have a Fourth Amendment, right? And your ability to control your identity. No one puts a file in there unless you consent, right? Or unless you're in a position where you can't consent, like person died, death certificate goes in your identity, right? You can't contest that. You, uh, you know, uh, get drunk and you have a bar fight and you kill someone during the fight and you go to jail. You can't contest the filing of you going to jail, going in there. You will have to comply because you will be in that position. Obviously, when you're dead, uh, they can't add the file. They will shelf it and it'll be sealed as Joe death certificate. And nobody can see your data because it's yours and you died and it's game over. And unless you voluntarily shared it with Larry, who has some of your personal data, I don't know, because of interactions or working together, you know, your data is your data. So what we have to do is be able to uh, have identity protection. And that is something that Patrick Byrne brought up, right? That's something very important. So, you know, this is the basic covenant of you, your identity. And, you know, as someone who was unable to have her true identity for a long period of my life, I can tell you that the minute I got a hold of my birth certificate from my mom and was able to take mine back, it was amazing. It did take me after getting it, but um, I think the first time I had my actual identification in my name, the way it was when I was born was in either, it was in 2018 and 2019 for my federal. That's how long it took. It's only when you lose something that you want it back so bad or when it's taken away from you. And in the case of metaverse, in the case of your virtual self, which I said in 2019, AI is one of the biggest threats we have. If you can't maintain your own digital identity and ensure its integrity, it'll be like calling Equifax. Uh, yeah, so that's not mine. Yeah, so we have like a procedure of 30 days. You have to contest it like this. Debtors are like, no, man, uh, they owe me that money. And you're just like, but it's not me. Yeah, tough. I have like all your ID stuff, so it's you. It's kind of like, you know, when the lady went to the hospital to go get her ingrown toenails done and they said, yeah, your insurance declined because you've amputated your foot. They can obviously see that she has both feet. Her insurance acknowledges that the doctors and the nurses said she had both feet, but apparently someone stole her identity and went and had one of their feet amputated. And therefore now the lady is registered to all insurance company as an amputee, <laughs> but, and she can't fix it. See, 
That's how it works. So digital identity. Let's go to the blockchain basics. Within your digital identity and you choose, not the company, you choose what you want to share and when. And that is the key here. That's user-centric identity. What is up, Hash Nation? Today, we have another blockchain basics topic, and this one is all about digital identity. This is a really important topic out there in the marketplace today. Many companies are trying to solve the problem of digital identity in a world where everything about our identity is on paper or in the database somewhere. So let's talk about how blockchain can be used to bring digital identity into reality. Let's hash it out. I would say the number one enterprise feature that a lot of people that I've worked with look for and a lot of different businesses out there really need is digital identity. In almost all business processes and almost all things that you'll see out there in industry, there has to be some sort of way to establish someone's identity or to establish identity attributes. I'm not saying you need to get someone's DNA or genetic code so that they can apply for a loan. That is not what I'm saying. There's The world is rife with oversharing and lack of control of people's data. So there's no doubt about that. But there is a base need for businesses to verify, A, that you're not being fraudulently represented by someone else. That's very important. And B, that they have the information they need to offer you services. So what we really need is a, an infrastructure or a place where people can own their attributes, they can own their data, and they can expose what they want to companies rather than the other way around. Nowadays, when you apply for a loan, you know your social security number, you have to give that to them. And then those people go and do a bunch of back end research and learn about you and you don't have any control over what they find, right? All of your information is out of your control and it's all over the place. Your information, your identity is owned by other people and other businesses, and that's not the way it should be. So the way Ontology is doing this is they're giving people the ability to create their own Ontology ID. And this is algorithmically derived from their public key. And anytime they want to use this identity or they want to make an attestation on something about them, say their driving record, for example, it would check for their private key signature to make sure, hey, I, yeah, you own the private keys for this identity. That is you. So using something like this, you as the user own your identity information. You have all of that within your digital identity and you choose, not the company, you choose what you wanna share and when. And that is the key here. That's user-centric identity, that's self-sovereign identity, and that is where the world is going, that's where it has to go, and we can accomplish that. I'm glad that Ontology is thinking about this when they deliver these platforms because then if you're working with multiple different enterprises on this blockchain ecosystem, then you still control your identity and you can tell each one of these different businesses what you want with this one identity. You don't have multiple usernames and passwords and all this jazz all in one place. That's user-centric. Question of the day, guys. Do you think digital identity is an important factor and are you going to use it when it comes? Let me know in the YouTube card above whether it's yes, no, or absolutely not. I don't want any digital identity whatsoever. So speaking on that example of digital identity and how you can attest to information or you can share information that only you choose to, let's talk about how that's facilitated within the ontology ecosystem. There are a couple of different ways. One of them is a more centralized way. The other is a much less centralized way. The more centralized approach is using a trust anchor or a trusted group to establish that trust between people and help make verifiable claims. 
And the more decentralized way is allowing users to establish trust between each other in due course and to make attestations about someone's trustworthiness over time. So let's take examples of this using the concept of a verifiable claim. And a verifiable claim could be something about your identity. So if I wanted to prove to you that I went to Virginia Tech and I studied computer science and business information technology, and I want to share that with you and prove that to you that I got that degree, I have to make a verifiable claim. You'd want to verify that and not just take my word for it. There are a couple ways to go about this verifiable claim. And the first one is this. To do this, I would reach out to the Virginia Tech School of Science and I would ask the dean to make a claim that yes, indeed, I did get the degree that I say I got. So in this scenario, they could issue a claim on the ontology network saying, yes, this guy, Forrest Shoshi, he got that degree. We can verify that because we're the ones who issued it. They're called the issuer in this instance. And so the issuer, in this case, Virginia Tech, that dean, has made a claim about something that I've earned or a credential, right? And I can share that claim with you to prove a certain identity attribute, right? So at this point, I've chosen what I want to share with you. I've gotten the issuer of that credential to confirm to you that I've gotten it. And this can be done both publicly or privately. So you can kind of protect your data. But at this point, using this structure, there's no way to really protect my identity. Maybe I don't want anyone else to know that I got that degree from this school, right? And I wanted to share it with you. That information is still pseudo public. My identity is still tied to it. So there is a process being built for anonymous proofing and anonymous verifiable claims using zero knowledge proofs. But that's a topic for another video because that's a serious rabbit hole. Ladies and gentlemen, before you head out for the day, please do not forget to watch one more of my videos. There'll be one right here. Well, no, or we're right going to watch here. another one. We're going to watch another one. So now that you understand how it works, blockchain. Blockchain is basically, let's just say it's a line of code that verifies itself, that it's the correct code. And so the question that I'm stumped on is in this construct, how do you keep your key and who would be able to have that same question that we have? It's almost like zero proof. Now I wanted to share from blockchain central zero knowledge proof. Uh, and it's important. It'll be very relevant soon. Take a listen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the fourth and final episode in our series devoted to digital identity on Blockchain Central. Today, we'll focus on how digital identity applies to the living and breathing human beings. It's going to be interesting. Every month, we publish three videos, two in-depth explorations into the fascinating world of blockchains, and one video where we summarize the most important events of the previous month. If you want to stay up to date with our content, be sure to click the subscribe button and hit that little bell to always get notified when we drop a new video. Also, please be sure to check out our Medium blog at medium.com slash at block essence. See the link in the description box for details. You can also follow me on Instagram at TheBlueMantic to catch up with my other projects. Now, let's talk digital identity. If you follow our channel, as you should, you'll know that digital identity can be applied to an organization, an application, a device, or a person. We've already discussed how it can improve supply chains and help recognize and manage IoT machines, but digital identities can also apply to people. In this context, digital identity is a set of information relative to a specific person that allows them to prove their personal details. Digital identity can be used as a general validation for any identity claim and, as such, 
might find several applications. It can be especially useful in situations where providing confirmation of one's identity is needed, such as medical records, voting, taxation, or border crossing. Before we start to explain how blockchains are relevant to digital identity for human beings, let's focus on the concept of identity itself. The UN's Convention on the Rights of the Child grants every living person the most basic human right, the right to have an identity. It typically consists of one's name, date of birth, nationality, and state identifier, which can vary from country to country. Without having their identity confirmed, a person can't vote, work legally, or own property. Traditional government-level management of identity is centralized, which means that the process of issuing and validating is exclusively performed by state-authorized entities. For example, if you want to get access to various social media websites, you need to create a separate account for every single one of them. By doing that, you entrust your personal data to a third party, which can further relay it to other entities. This can significantly reduce the level of control you have over your personal information. What's even more concerning is your information might later be used in ways you haven't previously thought possible. That was the case with Cambridge Analytica, the well-publicized case of a serious privacy breach at Facebook. If you need a refresher, Cambridge Analytica's Dr. Alexander Kogan developed a mobile app which was harvesting Facebook users' personal data. Even though the claimed purpose was purely academic, it was later revealed that the gathered information was used to create psychographic maps, something very useful for targeted advertising. Facebook was accused of data breach, but claimed it was misled as to the purpose of data collection. In response, Cambridge Analytica said that commercial use was explicitly included in their terms of service. The case is still pending, and apart from being a clear example of personal data abuse, it raises another concern, the lack of transparency. It is really difficult for people to control what's happening with their personal details once they're given to a third party. This brings us to another fundamental issue associated with centralization, the potential for identity theft. Because your personal data, such as passport numbers, tax ID numbers, or credit card details are stored in a centralized server, it makes them extremely prone to cyber attacks. And that's where blockchain steps up as a potential solution. Let's look at the following aspects of blockchains in handling personal ID, trustlessness, data integrity, security, simplicity, and privacy. A blockchain is typically described as trustless thanks to its distributed ledger mechanism. All the data, regardless of its purpose, is maintained and verified across numerous participating nodes. This eliminates two fundamental human-related causes of tampering, negligence and malevolent action. It is up to various consensus mechanisms to make sure that, before a valid decision is made, multiple nodes will sign off on it. Distributing the data through a peer-to-peer -peer network makes it possible to keep the information consistent and up-to-date, something that is a core component of a larger phenomenon known as data integrity. This integrity is very important as Tampering with such public records can affect citizens, businesses, and public services. By indexing the stored data with hashes and putting it on the ledger, we can prevent this scenario from happening. Effectively, if any piece of data is changed, it ends up not matching the blockchain and is rejected. In addition to ensuring integrity and removing the need for trust inside the network, blockchains provide security and data encryptions. This can be achieved by using a so-called zero-knowledge proof, which is yet another method of authentication. Instead of verifying the validity of the information, it is the validity of the attester, for example, a state authority issuing documents that is verified. 
By using zero knowledge proof, we can effectively prove the information without disclosing it. Which brings us to the next subject, privacy. Zero knowledge proof guarantees the trust between entities by allowing them to confirm any piece of data without revealing it. Of course, all data can be additionally secured by a cryptographic solution achieved by combining public and private keys with automated and decentralized management. Now, let's dive into the technical side of things. One way personal data can be handled on blockchain is by applying a unique identifier that can be freely created by any user. This is called a public decentralized identifier or public DID. It is a token that identifies a subject, confirms one's control over it, and allows the owner to set trustable interactions. What's important, public DIDs don't depend on any centralized authority or identity providers. To make a claim verifiable, three actors are needed, a human user, an issuer, most likely an authority or an organization, and a claim, which is equal to any given statement or information. Please note that verifiable claims should not be confused with verifiable credentials, as the latter have a wider definition. A claim is a piece of information, while a credential is a definition of a specific group of claims. Verifiable credentials allow the owners to express real-life credentials on the blockchain in a secure and trustworthy manner. They include the framework that connects issuers, verifiers, and identity owners. Another important mechanism that enables digital identity... Okay, some people are getting lost. Let me explain it in, in layman terms. Okay, so... There are ways that things can be confirmed without revealing the source of the data by just asking. So, for example, you said that um, you got a divorce in 1998, okay? And you have that certificate in your data. So, the issuing authority, whatever, your bank, mortgage company, freaking wherever you are that needs proof of that, you would then tell them, okay, I will release that proof to you. And they get on the system and make a claim against your identity. It comes in like on a phone and it says, hey, you know, Rocket Mortgage wants to know, uh, you know, when you got divorced. Do we confirm? Do you allow the confirmation or negation of this data? And so the question is, do we tell it if it's true or not? Would you like to disclose that information? And that's where you click. And then suddenly, you know, they're all satisfied. Yep, document is verified. So that's the way it is. And how is it verified? Because you made a claim to the court where you got your divorce. Hey, court of, you know, Miami, I would like you to send me a token that identifies that I got a divorce in 1998 on a, a really warm day of July 1st. And, you know, they send you that token and it's added to your blockchain. So basically nobody can see your data without you confirming that they're allowed to see your data. I hope that helps. Um, and then, you know, one was a piece of information like the divorce. The other one is claims. So it can be a lot of things. Hey, we want to see, um, you know, Sally's uh, art portfolio, uh, to see if we're going to hire her as an artist. And we want to see the portfolios and her credentials for that. So that's a lot of claims. I'm just trying to simplify it. So it's, it's you being in charge of what someone can use about you, have about you and do, because one day when someone wants to hack you and they go, yeah, you know, I got to get amputated. I have insurance. I have, you know, Pfizer insurance because <laughs> I got a lot of boosters. I got free insurance. So I need to amputate my foot.
um, yeah, here's my name. Uh, yeah, that's it. And so then the nurse goes on the system and the medical biller sends a token to be verified to your blockchain and you get a notification and it's like, yo, you need to amputate your foot. We need to confirm your, you know, insurance. And you're like, what? No. And you don't allow that information to be processed. I hope that helps. Um, and I hope you're getting what I'm saying. These two MDLTs is decentralized key management system. By using the blockchain, it replaces the traditional distribution of key certificates given by a central institution with DIDs that are cryptographically generated so that a central registration is not required. Decentralization in blockchains effectively means the identity is managed by its holder, who fully controls the access to claims. It removes third parties from the process. This leads us to the phenomenon called a self-sovereign digital identity, whose main feature is that it fully belongs to its holder. It cannot be taken away or used without the user's consent. What is also important is that the amount of data used or disclosed can vary depending on the specific task that it's needed for. Now that we know the benefits and the technical aspects of digital identities on the blockchain, let's discuss the possibilities of its real life usage. Widespread adoption might actually bring significant real life benefits such as social analytics, reinforced border control, secure cashless payments, or more efficient taxation. It can also be used to ensure fair and democratic elections. As we all have recently witnessed, conventionally managed elections are vulnerable to at least several important issues. We can mention spreading of fake news, campaign disinformation, hacking databases with voters' personal information, or hacking the voting software, just to name a few. Hackers might also be tempted to tamper with the systems announcing the election's results. Let's see how blockchains can mitigate these issues. We already know that creating an electronic voting system, which is tamper-proof and provides complete anonymity, is possible within the blockchain. Using this technology can also potentially increase voter turnout by making it possible to reliably vote through the mobile applications. In 2018, the city of Zug in Switzerland piloted an e-voting program. The participants had their digital IDs created and registered through the Uport app that ran on Ethereum. In a follow-up survey, 42% of the respondents expressed satisfaction that e-voting is slowly becoming an option and the trial was considered a success. A similar solution also tested in West Virginia, where the voting app enabled overseas residents to participate in the U.S. midterm elections. To prove their eligibility, the voters were required to take a photo of their ID and make a short video of their eyes moving. In this particular case, facial recognition was used to confirm private key ownership. The local government called the trial a success, but not enough data was disclosed to perform an independent evaluation regarding the security and the accuracy of the process. Of course, those two pilot programs were conducted on a really small scale but they already showcase both the opportunities and the challenges of using DLT in the voting process. The most fundamental issue, ironically, stems from one of the main advantages of using blockchains for voting. While a blockchain is decentralized, the elections at the end of the day have to be handled by a centralized entity. This means that public institutions have to be engaged and have to agree to manage the process in a decentralized manner. Defining levels of control and governance in this process could pose a huge technical and legislative hurdle. Other problems can stem from the typical blockchain challenge of striking a balance between decentralization, scalability, and privacy, the ever-present scalability trilemma. Apart from voting, 
Managing digital identities on the blockchain also holds the potential of increasing the efficiency of the government services. It can also reinforce people's trust in the authorities thanks to its tamper-proof and transparent nature. In a wider perspective, it can be used in tax systems, providing social security services, or issuing documents. But its impact can also be felt in everyday lives. Imagine that the validation of your identity could take place simultaneously with the action that requires such validation and you don't need to produce an additional proof of ID. These could range from serious matters such as buying a house or receiving medical care to really trivial ones such as buying a beer. As we see, blockchains can theoretically set the framework for seamless and secure usage of digital identities by human beings. When compared to conventional identity management systems, it is more secure, transparent, and more tamper-proof. It also eliminates the risk of human error. But it is still too early to consider it an ideal solution for mass usage in public services, mainly due to the lack of standardization and interruptibility. The good news is that there is a growing number of public authorities, academic entities, and developers working on improvements to this technology, which will certainly result in us finding the solutions to all the challenges mentioned in today's episode. Before you go, please note that this content does neither represent financial, legal, or tax advice. Those are supposed to be understood or interpreted as solicitation to buy or sell any securities, coins, or tokens. How sucky is it that he has to say that when he was just explaining it? So in this reality construct, it's inevitable. But, you know, I'm of the fact like this. There are certain things that we stick to that is a tried and tested method, right? We know that we can print out hamburgers, but we know getting a cow, right, grinding the meat and putting it into a patty tastes a ton better. We also know that, you know, writing in, uh, you know, the metaverse, you're just kind of moving your hand around like you're writing, but you're not really writing. When it's really nice to just hear the pen against the paper and just write, smell the paper, feel the pen, get the cramp in your thumb, right? But you won't do that if it's digital. I'm just saying. So there are things that we can maintain, like voting. Not everyone does common core math. We used to be able to count all the votes before the day the day was gone, and now we can't. We don't have people to count. Are they all blind? Are they uh, number lexic? What is the problem here? Why can't we have that solid, tested method, completely tamper-proof, and use technology in other ways? Why can't we have technology assist us rather than entrap us? Again, it reminds me of the saying, yatito pinis afusepini, which is, why are you drinking it if it's drinking you? That's another way of saying you can't hold your liquor. But here, we can't hold our tech. The minute we step into the blockchain, there is no going back. Technology is fully integrated in all parts. And so this reality construct comes to a bifurcation of you know, where and how do we use this? Because the whole scare was to keep you locked in. They failed. They've, they've, they're still coming up with variations, recycling alphabets, right? You were supposed to be okay with it. You were supposed to understand that this is how we evolve in an age of sickness while everyone's trapped in their home. And don't worry, we'll help you. But it didn't work. 
Because people were like, yeah, man, I don't know. It was only the Voice of America that was reporting those deaths on TikTok. And suddenly they were popular. Kind of looks, you know, orchestrated. I'm not going to trust it. And you ruined their plan. So now it's a race. A race between Facebook and other companies that want to be the majority owners of data to say, I won. I brought them all on. I have the super data. And now my rules count. You can't control your identity. I do because I've been doing it for so many years. You see how that works? So what do you do? Do you let it just go and then Zuck, you know, is Zuck's company in 50 years when he's gone and his kids running it or whatever, you know, says, all right, nope. Uh, you put in a request to Facebook. Hey, it says here that I was married to a guy named John. My actual husband's name was Mike. Uh, can we change that? Uh, yeah, sorry. Our data is not changeable. It is valid. Your request is invalid. And you're just like, um, yeah, I get it. You're on the blockchain and stuff, but I, uh, you got it wrong. The data that we have is of utmost integrity. Are you to doubt the blockchain that has been accepted by all governments in this world? Please. Your request is denied. And if you do it again, we will charge you half a token for bothering us. See, that's what happens. And if you think, if you create, uh, you know, other means of, um, of, um, communications that it'll be allowed, you're going to be moved to the blockchain, whether you like it or not. So the question is the only way that we can mitigate this inevitability is to allocate where this use of technology to assist mankind and not chain it, laws must be made. You must be able to protect your identity in order to disallow private companies to it again at one point. Embrace and own your data. Number two, you select things that you will allow technology to consume. If you're okay with doing virtual shopping at Macy's or Nordstrom in the comfort of your house and interacting with customers, that's great. I mean, who wants to go to Macy's and wait for the really slow teller and shit, right? I'm just saying, <laughs> right? That just, you know, I'd be like, all right, I'm game with that. I'd like to go to virtual reality and try stuff on um, and order it. And then it comes to my door in a couple of days. I'm great. That's fantastic. But I'm not okay with um, voting. I'm not okay with, um, you know, going to court. I'm not okay with, um, you know, a virtual reality interrogation or, you know, discussion or state of the union or president because I need to be able to touch them, smell them and feel them. I do not want a digital identity. That would be wrong. So this is something to ponder on because this is, um, this was dropped on you. It should have been dropped on you. 2023, considering that Hillary had won, President Trump was out of the picture, and you just went on saying, oh, they're all corrupt. We can't do anything about it. Because that's what people do. Accenture is one of the leading blockchain and biometric company. 
They were in the center of creating the COVID passports. They are thumping the background checks and training records, healthcare records, proof of ownership or insurance, and secure and seamless travel. In addition, they've streamlined the know your customer process, which is basically you scan your rewards card at Kroger. They already know what kind of milk you drink and eggs you eat. So they just sell that and say, well, you know, Nancy likes uh, eggs from Eggsland that are pasture raised. And she always gets those. Um, she likes uh, 2% milk and, you know, doesn't really care for yogurt, but she does get kefir. And so now they have you know, the brands you get, the frequency you buy it, everything. Because you wanted to get that 10 cents discount, you swiped your rewards card. That's why I said when I went to Canada, it freaked me out. It wasn't so much that it seemed like everyone was vanilla. I went to the supermarket to get um, some bottles of water for the hotel because uh, me and my girls were there to attend Easter. And you know, I was at the supermarket and they were like, do you have aeroplane card? And I was like, wait, isn't that like a TD thing for like air miles and stuff? They're like, oh no, across all of Canada, you get aeroplane miles for everything. And I was like, really? Oh, that's so weird. So then we go to McDonald's, which was in the supermarket to get um, what they had an iced coffee with like ice cream in it. And so we go there and I'm ready to check on, what is, do you have your aeroplane, aeroplane miles, uh, account number or card? And I'm like, wait, what in McDonald's? Oh yeah. Everywhere you go across Canada, you can use aeroplane miles. And I'm like, oh, look at that. They'll even know when you eat at McDonald's, they'll know what toilet paper you buy. They'll know how much gas you put and what, you know, you do. <clears throat> so weird. That's why it was creepy because it was done without the people realizing what was being done. It is pretty scary, but it's okay. It's, it's the year of the tyke. Tomorrow I'm traveling, but if I can, I will do a show for my location. God bless. <laughs>